This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, is out this week, but we do have a guest in studio today. It's James Cummins, Executive Director of Wildlife Mississippi. Later in the show, we'll talk to Chaz Gaffin of Repticon about their upcoming reptile show. Join our conversation this morning. Give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Majors out this week. He'll be back on the show in the next few weeks. We do have a guest today in studio. It's James Cummins. He's the executive director of Wildlife Mississippi. Later in the show, we'll talk to Chaz Gaffin from Repticon about their upcoming reptile show. Today, we're putting the spotlight on Wildlife Mississippi. What are they all about and what's their mission? And how, for the past 20 years, have they been able to protect, restore, and enhance 4,200,000 acres of wildlife habitat here in Mississippi? We'll hear that story this morning. You can join the conversation with questions and comments. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or you can send us an email it's animals at mpbonline.org so good morning to you both thanks good for joining morning. us good morning uh first off i'd like to say that uh we have a new underwriter for the program and it is the wildlife mississippi so uh james certainly we say thanks to you and wildlife mississippi for underwriting but also libby you did a lot of legwork for us so we really appreciate your efforts as well oh that's okay but i've our old friends at the natural science museum have asked me to say there's a new exhibit opening saturday so don't forget about them, too. That's right. We'll still be letting folks yep. know about what's going on at the museum. Uh, tell us a little bit about I think I saw something about that this morning. Yeah, um, Titanoboa. And it's a, it's about a fossil snake. You won't be surprised. In a few weeks, George Phillips is going to come on and talk a little bit about the science of it. But it's a, a giant snake that was found, a really big snake that uh, lived a very long time ago is what I know about it now. And the skeleton was, you know, discovered several years ago, and it's now a traveling exhibit. So Titanoboa is in Jackson as we speak, and he'll be unveiled soon. Yeah, as I was reading it, I read through there, and I, what, I, I was a little nervous till I finally got to the part about, oh, it's a fossil, so we, yes. you know, we yeah, can... we're not going to have that real giant snake in there, yeah. So Saturday morning, you can rush in there and see him, or anytime thereafter for a few weeks. Uh, if you'd like to know more about the work of Wildlife Mississippi, you can give us a call, or if you have any wildlife questions or observations that you'd like to share with us, the phone lines are open at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. As I mentioned, our guest today is James Cummins, Executive Director of Wildlife Mississippi. Uh, James, tell us a little bit about your background. I grew up in Greenville, Mississippi, uh, and had grandparents that lived around Winona and Kill Michael area, and had a farm there. And so I got to spend a lot of time on on the farm. And I had an uncle that actually worked for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. He was a fisheries biologist, and then eventually became director of the agency. Uh, so I, I was kind of around it a lot, you know, growing up and, and out on the farm and out in the woods and, and really enjoying the outdoors with, with my, my father and my uncle and, and other relatives and ended up choosing to, to go to Mississippi State and actually major in uh, fisheries management. And then from there, I went to Virginia Tech and got a master's in it and did a lot of my research there on, on rivers and, and the impact of coal mining and coal fines and and after that, I started, went to work for Senator Cochran, Senator Thad Cochran, uh, and worked in the United States Senate. Uh, uh, Mark Keenum, our 
president of Mississippi State, was actually my boss there, and uh, uh, had the, really the opportunity of lifetime to, to help him uh, write a lot of natural resource and fisheries and wildlife legislation, uh, not only benefiting Mississippi, but the entire nation. But I mean, I guess that experience, too, uh, serves you well uh, working with a group like Wildlife Mississippi because you're, you kind of have to work with a number of different groups, maybe public and private entities, to, to try to get things done. Absolutely. And, and even multiple times this week, we have, I have had many phone calls. We're coming up on a, a new U.S. farm bill. Uh, and a lot of people think the farm bill is strictly about farming. And, and in fact, a huge percentage of that uh, is about private lands conservation. And Mississippi is one of the primary beneficiaries or users of, of some of those in terms of reforesting, bottomland land hardwoods and wetlands. Uh, longleaf pine, native prairie, a lot of our habitat types in Mississippi. Uh, uh, so a lot of that that farm bill is we want to make sure that it's it's really good for southern uh, southeastern ecosystems and, and how can we use it to, to restore and protect and, and, and enhance lands. And, and in doing so, we work with a lot of other different conservation groups like the Ducks Unlimited, National Wildlife Federation, whatnot, in terms of trying to build strong coalitions to, to push policy that's that's good for the country and good for our state. So if you could give us a little background on Wildlife Mississippi, how old is the organization and what is the their primary mission? Sure. Uh, the organization was, was formed in, in 1997, and it was primarily formed by a lot of business leaders in the state that really wanted to, to take a little bit different approach in, in, in terms of how we do conservation in Mississippi. Uh, obviously, you know, we're not the richest state in the nation. Uh, so how can we look at, at what's what you know, we obviously don't have a lot of opera in Mississippi. So if, if if you're interested in things like that, you know, probably ought to go where you were raised in New York. You know, uh, but but we do have a lot of wonderful outdoors, and how can we work toward improving that and eventually improve our quality of life uh, and really improve an asset that that we have to to bring more jobs to our state and, and help put people to work and 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 really make it a, a better place to live, work, and raise a family. And that's a lot of what makes us a little bit different uh, uh, in terms of an organization. So uh, we, we focus on a number of different things, uh, spend a lot of time in the area of conservation education. Uh, probably the most time we spend is really on, on habitat restoration, whether that's uh, working toward you know protecting private lands with conservation easements uh, or working to restore bottomland hardwoods, wetlands, native prairie, longleaf, a lot of coastal resources now. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we do a lot of policy work uh, and then also a lot of outdoor recreation. We were very involved in, in establishing the Theodore Roosevelt National Wildlife Refuge in uh, the whole Collier National Wildlife Refuge, which is the only refuge in the United States uh, named after an African-American. And that's right here in Mississippi. And that's the connection with the, the teddy bear story. Am I, am I right? A- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think and it, it's interesting that um, it was a group of business leaders that kind of got the thing going because, uh, as you said, it pr- by promoting our, our natural resources and, and preserving and conserving them, it certainly benefits those of us who live there to be able to enjoy the outdoors. As you said, it, it provides some employment because also it, it attracts people from other parts of the state, other parts of the world to, to come and also enjoy these natural resources. It, exactly. And to give you an example, uh an area that we, we formed a partnership and work with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, uh, MDOT, and the, uh, the Federal Highway Administration on building a trail throughout Sky Lake. Uh, that's an area in the Delta, and it has uh, cypress trees that are between one and 2,000 years old. Uh, and when we did, right at the end of this past year, uh, we, we, we did some work in terms of kind of summarizing where people had come from to, to tour the area. And we have right at 60 different countries uh, that that where people are from that have visited Sky Lake in, in this past year. So that's pretty significant when you've got that kind of people coming from that many faraway places to look at, hey, what we have in Mississippi and often take for granted. We're visiting on Creature Comforts today with James Cummins, the Executive Director of Wildlife Mississippi. We've got some open phone lines, so if you'd like to ask a question about the work that the Wildlife Mississippi does, or if you have a wildlife question or observation that you'd like to share with us today, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So you talk about the idea of uh, conservation and, and habitat restoration, those sorts of things. Uh, how do you go about doing that? Does the um, does Wildlife Mississippi ever buy land or I mean, how exactly do you go about trying to preserve this land? Uh, 
a number of different ways. Uh, we use uh, tools through the Internal Revenue Service through the tax code. It's a it's a it's a perpetual conservation easement that protects land in perpetuity, and a landowner can place an easement on his or her property, uh, and they get a tax deduction for that. So that's one thing. Then you mentioned some of the acreage that we had been working to protect, conserve, and restore. Uh, and, and about 150,000 acres of that is, is really in perpetual conservation easements. Uh, you know, I mentioned the Farm Bill. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has a Partners for Fish and Wildlife Program. We work a lot with that, whether that be, you know, restoring native prairie, uh, uh any number of different habitat types in Mississippi, and and something that we started uh, actually at the at was really the idea of Claiborne Barnwell, which was then with the Mississippi Department of Transportation, uh, is 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 wetland and stream mitigation. Uh, we own approximately twenty thousand acres uh, in that we own outright of of land, and what we try to do is really focus on on significant projects uh, where there's either a federally threatened or endangered species involved, uh, and how we pay for that is is when, when when an entity, for, to give you a good example, when when Continental Tire uh, came to Mississippi, you know, uh, right not too far from where we're sitting now, uh, when they build that plant, they they will have some wetland and stream damages, and we were able to to try to an oppor- have an opportunity to mitigate for that on a place called Bio Pierre, uh, which has a, a a federally threatened daughter species, the Bio Pierre daughter that exists nowhere else in the world except right here in Mississippi, and and for the most part in in Capai and Claiborne counties. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue our discussion with our guest, James Cummins, the executive director of Wildlife Mississippi. Also, later this hour, we're going to talk to Chaz Gavitt of Repticon. We'll talk all about the reptiles that you can see at that uh, this weekend. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and we'll be back with more after this. steps to your front door mpb news covers the state like no one else our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life mpb news online at mpbonline.org and on mpb think radio hi i'm nina totenberg are you someone who talks about how great public radio is but you're still not a donor rather than wait for the next pledge drive you can support the programs you love by donating that unwanted vehicle Donate it today. It could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station, and you could get a tax deduction. And thank you. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is James Cummins, executive director of Wildlife Mississippi. Dr. Major's out this week. She'll be back on the show, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Also, later, we're going to talk with Chaz Gaffin of Repticon. That's about their upcoming reptile show. Uh, We do have a caller on the line, so why don't we go to say good morning to Rich in Gulfport. Good morning, Rich. Go ahead. Hi. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking my call. I had a question. Uh, I heard the federal set aside a million acres out west for the grouse hens. I was wondering if the sage and the grouse hens are both the same. They they look similar in the dictionary. They nest on the ground, but mostly sagebrush out there. They have an old trick of a the mother hen acts like she has a broken wing lead the predators away from the nest and then uh, then they fly they rise up and fly straight at the person so I jump back in the car uh, the 
million acres is a lot. Uh, so I was one of the grouse hen is the same as the sage hen. Actually, the the grouse that they are referring to uh, is is a is a species called a sage grouse. In uh, fact, I was I enjoy going out west and doing a little photography and do a little hunting and fishing on occasion. And I was not too far south of Saratoga, Wyoming, a couple of years ago, and and saw several sage grouse. And you're exactly right; they were certainly in a in, in a lot of that brushy sage country uh, that smells like you know sage the 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 spice you have at home. Uh, but the federal government has, in the last several years, uh, I say last several, probably the last ten, has placed a lot of emphasis on on how can they recover the sage sage grouse. It certainly is 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 competing with a lot of economic interest, and they're trying to figure out how to solve some of those problems. Besides uh, an economic issue, we certainly want to see the sage grouse be healthy and, and thrive and do well. Uh, one one particular program that a lot of private landowners in the West are taking advantage of is 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 one that our own U.S. Senator wrote. Is that's the uh, Thad Cochran, and that's the Wildlife Habitat Incentives Program. Uh, it has provisions to improve habitat for threatened and endangered species, and it has what we call safe harbor provisions, where you know if a landowner, if he or she uh, restores habitat, they're not penalized. Uh, from a regulatory perspective, if if they decide to change that land use at some point in time, so uh, you're exactly right about the the federal government has, has certainly worked over the last several years, not only with private landowners, uh, but also establishing several uh, areas, primarily with the Bureau of Land Management, in terms of of, of protecting and improving sage grouse habitat in the West. All right, Rich, uh, we appreciate your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you'd like to join the conversation, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Again, we're visiting today with James Cummins, the Executive Director of Wildlife Mississippi. I want to ask you about some specific conservation projects that you've got going on, but a couple of follow-ups. Uh, the idea of mitigation, I'm not quite sure I, I follow the whole thing. <clears throat> so if uh, if a company comes in and, and, and uh, their plans include elimination of some of the wetlands, do, is it a sort of like a trade-off? We'll give you this area here, but we'll take this area here, that kind of thing? It, it, it's very similar to that. Um, for example, let's say a company comes in, well, Continental, for example, and, and, you know, the size of that plant, the footprint of that plant will be the size of Toyota and Nissan combined. I don't know what that is, but that's pretty large. <laughs> so inevitably, they're not going to be able to avoid, and that's really what you try to do, is to avoid any any damage to any streams or wetlands. But in in, in some instances, that's that's not feasible. Uh, so in this case, you know, they did have to to go in and, and fill some wetlands, and I'm not talking about a pristine cypress swamp. It it was a lower area in a field, and and you know, somewhat degraded wetlands, but nevertheless, still wetlands. So. We went in on Biopierre and restored and protected some of those, uh, about a thousand acres in exchange. And, and a lot of times it's it's maybe ten to one, or it's a certain ratio. So if you damage one acre, you have to replace it with ten acres, or or maybe less than that, depending on the quality. Uh, but that's really how wetland and stream mitigation works. It it, it allows where you, if you can't avoid something, whether you're building. A uh, new Highway 25, like uh, the Mississippi Department of Transportation, uh, or or any other type of economic development project, uh, uh, that you can offset those and, and do it in a way that, that that makes good sense. But I think it's also important that it's it's a recognition of the idea of this type of economic development is certainly important to us. But again, it's also saying that in addition to that, it's important also to protect our natural resources. So here's a way that we can do both. A- absolutely, and it's it's a win-win situation for both. Uh, Critters and, and, and Mississippi's economy and, and people that are being employed by those jobs, by those companies. That thing that you talked about was the easements. And so, and again, that's the idea of this This land will not be developed. Do you actively go in and maybe try to re- replant trees, uh, shrubs, that sort of thing? Or is it just once it's there, we let it go and let nature take its course? Uh, a lot of times it, it depends on the, the nature of the easement. If it's a if it's a pristine stand of bottom and hardwoods, you know, it may be just monitoring that to make sure that it, it stays at it. We, we're on these sites where we have an easement every single year, and these easements are in perpetuity. So we know when, when, when we're protecting an acre in Mississippi of wetlands, you know, with an easement, it's the, it's there forever. Uh, in other instances, it may be you know an easement on 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 a pasture uh, where the landowner is interested in restoring uh, uh, native prairie that may be good for pollinators and butterflies and whatnot. So in that case, we may have to do some some periodic burning or con- prescribed fire controlling invasive species, things like that. So it, it varies depending on the habitat type. Now this land remains in 
private ownership, right? It would remain in private ownership. And there are certain functions that the private owner can can use the land for continuously that during is, the process, right? Which is an important kind of point to it that if you've lived there all your life, it's a way to be able to continue to live there all your life and get those tax advantages. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And and in this case it's a it's a win win for a landowner who, you know, he or she may need those tax advantages. Uh it also it helps them with an estate tax uh in terms of reducing that. And we're finding out more and more if we can help landowners achieve a financial objective, at least landowners that have a desire to be good stewards of their land, if we can help them achieve a financial objective and achieve a conservation objective, we all win. We've got another caller on the line, so why we say good morning to Sheila who is in Jackson today. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. I'd like to uh, ask, uh, hear him discuss a little bit about the impact of monoculture, such as planted pine, on the uh, environment, because it seems like you lose a lot of biodiversity when you do something like that and uh, just whatever the impact is on the environment. Sure, be happy to. And and I actually, my my wife and I actually own uh, some some stands of of monoculture planted pine. uh, wish they were in hardwoods, actually. Uh, so if, if we're looking at trying to meet a, a, de- a demand for the United States in terms of, of lumber for homes, uh, you know, pulp for paper, uh, pellets for energy, or any number of different uses, uh, uh, it, in my opinion, it's a lot easier and a lot better to try to grow stuff more intensively on a given acre than sp- spread activity you know, throughout the landscape. So you do have concentrations of planted pine. Are they the best for wildlife habitat? Most of the time they're not. Uh, uh, they do sequester carbon. They do improve, uh, help clean the air. Uh, and if they're managed correctly, they can certainly replicate some of those same functions that a, that a mixed stand of oak and pine would, would have. You know, and by that, I mean keeping out invasive species, doing prescribed fire, whatnot. Uh, uh, right now, if you have stands of planted pine, you're probably realizing they're not worth a lot of money. Uh, when the housing market turned down, you know, in the when the economy dropped ten or so years ago, that really hasn't recovered. So there's a lot of people with planted pine that probably wish they had good bottomland hardwoods or upland hardwoods in mixed pine. All right, Sheila, we certainly appreciate your call. Again, we've got some open phone lines if you'd like to join the conversation today. Our guest, James Cummins, the Executive Director of Wildlife Mississippi. Call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Our email address is animals at mpbonline.org. All right, so we want to talk about maybe some specific projects going on. There's one, and I learned a new river in Mississippi by looking this up yesterday. I hope I'm saying it right. Is it the Butahatchee? You get a gold star. All right. <laughs> First, tell us uh, where that is and what's going on there. The but the butter hatchie, and you may have discovered this when you looked it up. It's Chickasaw, and it means pretty river. <laughs> so, uh, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, the butter hatchie. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite projects. It it actually starts in Alabama, uh, up near. If you kind of go a little northeast of of Columbus, uh, near Hamilton in Sullivan, Alabama, it flows out of there. And that's around 2,000 feet in elevation, and we're about 200 right now. So it starts <laughs> at a very high elevation uh, and, and flows into the Tom Bigby River uh, pretty much at Columbus Air Force Base uh, uh, at Columbus. Uh, but one really unique thing about the Butahatchee is it's it's a fairly pristine uh, system. Uh, it's... It, it's in the Mobile River Basin. Uh, the Mobile River Basin is is really a, a truly outstanding basin, and from a standpoint of of its its biological diversity, uh, for example, it has over seventeen species of turtles, one hundred sixty species of fish, uh, seventy five species of mussels, and over twenty species of nails uh, as snails. Uh, but one of the bad things about the Mobile Basin is we about half the extinctions of species that we've experienced in the United States. Uh, or in that one particular basin, which makes the Butahatchee even more important that we need to be taking care of it in, in of, of those species. Uh, so we've seen about 69 species, uh, primarily aquatic species, go extinct uh, in in that Mobile Basin. Uh, in the Butahatchee River, uh, there's six federally threatened and endangered species of, of, of mussels. And one of the really interesting things about the Butahatchee is, uh, as I mentioned about the name, uh, it being a, a Chickasaw name, is is it's got a huge amount of, of Native American culture in the area. Uh, and you wonder kind of what caused a lot of that. Well, you know, certainly mussels. Mussels are really kind of a freshwater oyster, if you will. So we see a lot of these mussel shells in mid-mound. So I'm pretty confident that 
some of them were probably pretty tasty at, 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 at some point in time in the in the past. But also, mussel shells were used to make things that that we typically use every day, and that was called buttons. Uh, so, you know, if you have a deerskin jacket and you, and it was you know year fifteen. 1540, and Hernando de Soto was coming across the Butahatchee. Uh, that's probably what a lot of people had on. With was so, so it, it not only provides a lot of, of of protection in terms of of different mussel species, uh, but other species of fish that we don't typically find in Mississippi, like the freckle belly mad tom and and walleye. And if you think of walleye, you you think of upstate New York or going to Minnesota or or whatnot to to catch walleye. You really don't think of that uh, here in the in the Southeast U.S. And so again, that's uh, in addition for natural resources. That's that's a cultural uh, element there that that that, that benefits from uh, attention to and preservation of of an area like the Butahatchee. A- absolutely, it's a beautiful uh, river to go in and and canoe and 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 really just really enjoy. It, it's it's fairly clear water, uh, especially in late summer and, and fall. Uh, unlike most of Mississippi, it has a gravel bottom, so. Uh, it, it's not sand or silt uh, that we see in a lot of different uh, river systems that are throughout the state. And I, I guess some people might say, oh, well, you know, some mussels, what difference does that make? Why is that worth saving? But again, I guess the whole idea is you maybe have to look at this as a bigger picture and then the idea of ecosystems and, and the way the organisms that live in there sort of depend on each other. And if you start kind of messing with one thing, you might throw the whole thing out of kilter. That, that's exactly right. And, and you know, uh, the gentleman that called in uh, about some of the things out west, and we're certainly seeing that, you know, it, and, and that was a really a lot of the reason why the United States has a conservation system. Um, Theodore Roosevelt went out west uh, and saw what was happening in terms of wildlife, primarily American bison. Uh, and he came back to New York, got together a group of his friends in, in, in New York City and, and formed an organization called the Boone and Crockett Club um, uh, that really was the forefront and helped establish our, our National Wildlife Refuge System, uh, our National Park System. We just ce- celebrated a uh, uh, 100th anniversary last year of our National Park System. Uh, our U.S. Forest Service uh, our, it, it, and the Bureau of Land Management came a little bit after that. Uh, uh, but it was a lot of concern uh, is, is the reason that we even have a system. Uh, of conservation in the United States, and that's one of the reasons that, that we wanted to place such a strong effort on the Butahatchee is we saw what was happening in the Mobile Basin. We saw an opportunity to really uh, be able to acquire those lands, restore a lot of the wetlands and bottomland hardwoods, uh, and, and, and look at things, you know, whether it be mussels or, or different species and how those species interact. And in fact, you know, mussels are it, probably take too long to, to explain, but but they have a host that lives on some of the other fish species. So sometimes if a certain popul- a certain species of fish is declining in numbers, that would impact that species of mussel. So you're exactly right. They all We all interact, you know, whether we're, we're breathing oxygen and trees are taking in uh, uh, air and in, in, in producing that for us. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, uh, we're going to shift uh, gears just a little bit and talk to Chaz Geffen of Repticon about that upcoming reptile show. But we still have some time to chat with our guest, James Cummins, as well. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Back with more after this. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is the executive director of Wildlife Mississippi, James Cummins. Uh, in a minute, we're going to be joined by Chaz Gavin uh, from Repticon about that uh, show uh, coming up this weekend. But, uh, James, are there any conservation products, uh, pro- projects in Mississippi that, that are connected to reptiles? You know, c- certainly 
as, as you look at, at a lot of what we're doing in the area of, of, of longleaf pine, uh, you've got a number of different snake species, one that's caused a lot of, 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 of discussion here recently, and that's the black pine snake. Uh, and it uses a lot of the, the, the you know, more your southern longleaf pine ecosystems. And, and, and as we move forward, whether it's private landowners or DeSoto National Forest or any number of different landowners, public or private, uh, moving toward managing uh, that that species of pine, I think you're going to see some some pretty positive responses to, to those populations. And our biggest thing is what we're working on is the next farm bill, specifically the forestry title of the farm bill. It's trying to provide more incentives and get prescribed fire out on the landscape. That not only reduce, reduces the threat of a catastrophic fire, uh, but it's by far the most cost-effective tool we have in the conservation toolbox in terms of, of really improving habitat. And I guess that's the other thing, a good thing about the conservation projects. You know, we talked about the butthatchee and, and specifically the mussels that are threatened there. But again, it's not it's not just that. It's all of the organisms, all of the plants and the animals in that area that are, are benefiting from kind of restoring uh, the, the habitat. Absolutely. And and. The Butahatchee has a number of different threats that we're really looking at, whether that be channel destabilization, a lot of habitat or landside habitat, uh, sedimentation, nutrients, uh, things like that. that And one of the things that we're finding is just on uh, gravel and dirt roads that we have throughout rural Mississippi and rural Alabama, too, for that matter. uh, How can we look at best management practices? Because those roads are contributing a lot to sedimentation and, and and we're working with some with, with the Alabama National Heritage Commission in terms of developing practices that we can work with boards of supervisors on to help uh, reduce sedimentation coming off a lot of those dirt and gravel roads that we have. In. Let's uh, switch gears, as I said now, and invite uh, our guest, Chaz Gavin, on the air. Chaz, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, good to be here. Uh, so tell us, what is Repticon? Repticon is, is a, uh, it's a, it's a reptile show. Uh, reptile and exotic animals show and like an education series type thing. Um, it's family oriented show. Um, we just where, where you can browse and look at and actually purchase, you know, hundreds of reptiles and amphibians and some fur bearing creatures too. So um, it's just, uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Our we people... also feature educational seminars every hour, um, you know, where you can learn about different species before you buy them or uh, just want to quench your thirst for knowledge. Yeah, so this is someone, if someone's interested in, in acquiring one, but also folks are just interested in learning more about uh, some of the reptiles that are there, they can, as you said. Uh, so talk about uh, maybe some of the topics, some of the things that are covered in those educational seminars. Uh different topics ranging from, you know, picking your first reptile pet. Uh, They cover, you know, housing different types of species uh, and just basic general husbandry and care of of certain species. Uh, There'll be live animal presentations where you get to be hands-on with the animals and and actually hold them and and learn about them some more. So this uh, sounds like it's a little bit more interactive than maybe just like a zoo where you can go and observe the animals. Here you're saying that uh, if you're interested in, in maybe, for instance, want to be, be a snake owner, uh, that this you could get uh, maybe a chance to actually handle a snake, but also learn about uh, uh, you know what uh, what to buy in terms of a, a shelter for the snake, that sort of thing. Yes, sir. Um, and I mean. You, you don't have to really be wanting to buy the animal to handle it. Uh, a lot of the vendors encourage you to handle them and, you know, kind of help get over some, some people get over their fears, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, of course, knowledge is, is always helpful because if you don't know something about something, then you fear it. So... If you learn something about it, you might fear it a little less. I imagine snakes are probably one of the the big draws, but what are what are some of the other types of reptiles, different animals that uh, folks could see at Repticon? Uh, there'll be all kinds of gecko lizards, uh, crested geckos, leopard geckos, uh, iguanas, uh, 
monitors, um, of course, various snakes, ball pythons, Burmese pythons, reticulated pythons, uh, boa constrictors. Um, there'll even be some warm-blooded animals there, like some sugar gliders, and hedgehogs, uh, maybe some prairie dogs. You know, just a bunch of really neat stuff to see and learn about. How long have you been involved in Repticon? I've been with Repticon a little over two years. And uh, in your background, are you are someone that's always been interested in reptiles? How did you how did you get involved with Repticon? Um, well, I used to vend uh, at Repticon shows. Um, I've been doing reptiles probably about twenty six years. Um. So with working with them and breeding them and such, um, and just started as a passion as a young kid, you know, just catching stuff around the house. Uh, actually, Chess, I think we've got a question from someone that's uh, repti- reptile-related, so let's invite uh, Lee from Woodville into the conversation. Good morning, Lee. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. First of all, I have a question. I have a question and a comment, basically, for the man from Repticon. We're going to give him the title of the herpetologist this morning after 26 years. Look, first of all, the um, Southwest Mississippi and Mississippi as a whole, three weeks ago, we've had a very severe cold come through here. What effect, if any, did this cold weather have on? the crocodilians, and the reptiles that are in this area. Also, in Mississippi, how do we keep count on our basic reptile species? And I'll hang up and let you speak. All right, Lee, thanks for the call. Uh, So, Ted, what about cold weather and reptiles? Well, cold weather isn't good for reptiles. They're warm-blooded species. So they're they're as warm as their environment is. Um, they get too cold, they go into a brumation period, um, which is what the local reptiles do is they, they seek shelter like underground or buried in substrate, and they go into a brumation phase, which is like a, like a uh, hibernation phase, and they just stay dormant, you know, until it warms back up. Um, if the reptiles aren't local to the area, if they're not indigenous, then it could be fatal for them. You know, they could get respiratory infection and whatnot. Uh, Libby, do you know, would the wildlife department, do, do they keep track of, of uh, animals, of all types of animals? Actually, the Museum of Natural Science keeps a database on anything that's rare, endangered, unusual. So they do to some degree. It would be a lot of work to keep track of very many. And it's not something that, frankly, we've ever had money to do to keep up with very many. But anything that's rare or threatened or endangered, we do keep a pretty close look at uh, so, uh, Chaz, tell us some details now. Uh, the, the Repticon is at this weekend. If you could give us, a, you know, the dates and times and the location. Okay, it's going to be at the Landers Center in South Haven. Um, it runs Saturday from 10 to 5 and Sunday from 10 to 4. Admission is $10 for adults, $5 for children ages 5 to 12 and children four and under are free. Uh, you are able to purchase two-day tickets at the door for $15 for adults, $5 for children. Or you can go online to www.repticon.com and purchase VIP tickets for $12. That gets you both days plus it gets you early admittance to the show from 9 at 9 o'clock uh, on Saturday. And uh, Exoterra Zoomed goodie bag. 
All right, Chaz, uh, thanks for joining us today. That's uh, Chaz Geffen telling us about Repticon. It's in uh, South Haven this weekend. Uh, We need to take another quick break. When we get back, we'll wrap up our show. Again, visiting with our guest, James Cummins, the Executive Director of Wildlife Mississippi. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. MPB's at issue has the 2017 legislative session covered from all angles. You'll hear each week from Mississippi's most influential elected leaders at the state capitol. MPB political analysts, Republican Austin Barber and Democrat Brandon Jones provide insight on the critical issues facing the state and how these issues impact you. Join host Wilson Stribling for Mississippi's only statewide television news program at issue Fridays at 730 p.m. on MPB TV. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major is out this week, but we have a guest in studio. It's James Cummins, the executive director of Wildlife Mississippi. Uh, so, James, we just talked about uh, Repticon, the reptile show in South Haven this weekend. Uh, and you said uh, that um, alligators are, are an example of a success story in terms of conservation. Tell us about that. Yeah, it, it's the, the American alligator uh, it, we had extremely no, low numbers in terms of its population, like the, the gentleman was asking from, from uh, Woodville down in my, one of my favorite parts of the state and around the Buffalo River and whatnot. Uh, over the past several years, and, and a lot of that's contributed to both private landowners, the Mississippi Department of Wildlife Fisheries and Parks, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, of, of we've seen allig- American, the American alligator go to something that was a listed species, to, to now we, we're able to enjoy it. We see it frequently and even can, can hunt and take a few of those. So kind of like the wood duck and the white-tailed deer and the wild turkey, it's a real example of, of a conservation success due to, to really good scientific fish and wildlife management practices. And I guess that gives you uh, confidence and, and also, I think, in terms of trying to convince others to maybe uh, become involved, uh, to have a success story like that and to have you know a history of successful uh, management, that really is a big plus. A- absolutely. And I think, you know, kind of like the caller earlier, you know, we put our resources and our efforts behind, you know, protecting and improving habitat for the sage grouse and and we'll improve it and take care of it as well. Uh, So there's some other conservation projects that Wildlife Mississippi is working on. I understand, Libby, you're involved uh, with one of the Fannie Cook Natural Area. Yes. Tell us about that. Oh, it's a wonderful piece of property, almost 3,000 acres, right on the Pearl River on the Rankin County side basically north of the bridge up to the reservoir. It's a narrow strip of land there. There's some private inholdings in there, too, and some 16th section land. So combined with our 3,000 acres of the Fannie Cook natural area, there's a lot of, of really good riverine bottom land preserved there, and uh, we hope in the future available for public use. And, um who was Fanny Cook? Oh, Fanny Cook was. <laughs> I'm not touch that one. <laughs> she was the, the the founder of the Natural Science Museum and the department. What well, was then the Mississippi Game and Fish Commission, what's now the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks, and a pioneer conservationist in the state. She was born in 1889 and uh, uh, retired from the museum in uh, 1958. 
eight. So she saw a lot mm-hmm. of, of what was going on and oh, had a hand in all kinds of things in establishment of the um, the uh, National Park on the coast, the uh, Horn Islands. She was interested in that. Uh, she worked with the Mississippi Academy of Science, just um, had her hand in a little bit of everything and um, was kind of the go-to person in Mississippi there for years when anybody wanted to do anything scientific in the state having to do with wildlife at all. So she corresponded with uh, Roger Conant that wrote the, the reptile book. She uh, uh, corresponded a lot with Aldo Leopold when uh, he came into the state and they visited. And so there was a lot going on. She uh, was a big collector, so she she has um, primarily fish in Smithsonian, the Field Museum. She's uh, was pretty widely known at that time. It, and and Libby and I were fortunate to to obtain a photo not long ago of a, uh, that Eudora Welty took. Fanny <laughs> lived with Eudora Welty, and it's of a bat. So, uh, uh, but I want to put a plug in for for the Federal Highway Administration and MDOT, who really put Definitely. a lot of the land together. And it's at, at, at what is now the Fanny Cook area. So, if it wasn't for them and their efforts, you know, I, I think this fabulous trail system and conservation education system that that Libby's going to be putting together over the next couple of years wouldn't exist if it wasn't for those two agencies. And I think when we talk about uh, conservation, it's it, it, I've always, uh, uh, well, not surprised, but amazed, not amazed, but just uh, glad that, that so many entities work together. You work with private landowners, uh, you work with, with governmental agencies, and so it's good to, to me, I guess, to see that, you know, maybe we've all found something that we, we can work together on for the good of not only us, but future generations it, and and i married a very strong willed woman it's kind of like libby and fanny <laughs> and we know we know we've had good leadership and if it wasn't for a lot of forward thinking people like that we wouldn't be where we are today in mississippi we got another caller on the line let's go to clinton as we say good morning to md good morning go ahead please yes how are y'all doing today good, good. um i really just want to make a comment um I have a daughter named Robin Whitfield in Grenada, Mississippi. Oh, I know. We both know we Robin. Both know Robin. Yeah. I know. And uh, if y'all both know, this, I titled her Mother Nature because Robin just loves this planet Earth. And right now, the forest friends of Shaxuma Swamp are trying to sell trees for the project to save the 200 acres of the Shakshuma Swamp, and people can purchase a tree. If you go to a GoFundMe uh, that they have set up on the Internet, and this is a thriving ecosystem, a bird sanctuary, and to for the, these small cities like Grenada are strapped for money, and they're looking for avenues, and one of those is to cut trees, and they want to go in the swamp and cut, as they say, a select cut, but we all know kind of it messes up a whole ecosystem. And if any of y'all feel inclined, please go to the GoFundMe uh, for the forest friends of the Shakshuma Swamp and buy a tree for a loved one. They're going to have a veteran section where they tag them, they're going to try to build four miles of uh, walkways and uh, pathways for people to just go out. And this young lady has taken 10 years of her life to clear this area up and get the city involved. And now they want to come in and kind of do this cutting, which will just take away uh, unmercifully on this swamp. All right, MD, thanks for the call. Good cause there, and that's a way that folks can uh, get involved. Uh, what are maybe some other ways, uh, James, to get involved if someone is interested in the work of Wildlife Mississippi and, and would like to help out? Sure. Uh we have a website, which is wildlifemiss.org. Uh, they can go there and, and, and join and support uh, the organization. Uh, and, and, and whether that be financial support or helping out and as we move forward with the trail here, and, and hats off to Robin. She is, she's really done a phenomenal job of increasing the significance and, and, and make, increasing the awareness of, of the swamp up there and really has a vision that I think will end up putting a lot more dollars in the city of Grenada's coffers versus the the, the the pure value the trees if they go to make two by fours so to speak and providing uh, a wonderful place for people of Grenada to to recreate exactly exactly but uh, our website would be the easiest way uh, to, to to do that and 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 I would certainly encourage you to Google Chatsuma Swamp too so.
I uh, just got a couple of minutes left. I'm curious, you know, I'm, there are probably a lot of good project ideas uh, across the state. Is it just a matter of sort of prioritizing things when you choose we're going to go here and, and work on this project? How is that selection made? Well, we look at it in a number of different things. We, we prioritize it based not only on biological need or ecological need, but also, you know, where can we raise funding for? Uh, so really those two things. And, and where do we have good, strong public support? Uh, you know, the, the gentleman from Woodville, one of the things that we're really looking at now is how can we go in and, and really restore the Buffalo River uh, down in Wilkinson <laughs> County? Uh, uh, it, and, and we certainly have a need, and I think there's, there's a lot of good funding opportunities out there to, to, to do that. So it's really based on a couple of things. Uh, and also, I guess, the idea of awareness. I mean, um, you know, the the work that Robin's doing from the MD was telling us about that sort of thing. Um, and I would imagine most reasonable people, when they hear about these projects and, and kind of get the information about, you know, what's going on and maybe the, the, the scale and the scope of the project, um, are, are, will buy into this. So I, I guess just making folks more aware of, of the situation is, is, is important. And, and, and so many times in Mississippi, we don't – we look at things – a little differently. We don't view the environment as having a strong economic value. And I think we, we that, that mentality is changing. Uh, but I think the more we can look at, at, at our environment and our natural resources as an asset and as a tourist asset, uh, I think we'll not only put a lot more value on them because they're, they have economic value, uh, but we'll take better care of them for, for its ecological need as well. All right, we've only got about 30 seconds left. A, a chance to remind you, uh, if you're interested in uh, the reptile show, Repticon, that's going on uh, this weekend in South Haven. A chance to see some uh, snakes and, and some... And Tatiana Bowen. That's museum. right. All right, yes. <laughs> and so at the museum, uh, uh, let me, when does the, the exhibit open? The exhibit opens Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. All right, and it's a fossil of a giant snake, so that certainly yes. is... with all uh, kinds of exhibits about it, too, some fun <laughs> things for kids, yeah. So it won't bite, though, because it's not with us anymore, no. so... All right, so James, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank and you. again, we appreciate uh, what Wildlife Mississippi has done to help support this program. Creature Conference is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife. And also contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Sharita Brent. So for Libby Hartfield and James Cummins, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's MPB Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells. That's followed by Southern Rem. We'll be back next Thursday at 9. Another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.